In today's talk, we discuss furniture, how to crush your competition, crush them nicely, but crush them, and retirement and certain retirement ideas. As I welcome you in to this week's weekly Parsha podcast, it is not a double Parsha this week. So we get to turn our attention undivided to Parshas Truma, which deals with the fundraising to build the Mishkan, the tabernacle, that holy edifice, that magical tent that would be a place for God to reside amongst his beloved people. And we're able to get into the details of the furniture and furnishings that would make up the internal design of this Mishkan. There is layers and layers, roots with branches and leaves of depth to every single detail. And this year, this week, I want to dive with y'all down into the very, very heart of one of the most extraordinary appliances sacred fixtures of the Mishkan. It truly is the heart of the topic for it is the very center of it all, quite literally, and at least geographically speaking. For if you are to be living in one of the tribes or even be an outsider and come to visit, take a tour of the Israelites' encampment, you would knock on one of the tribe's doors, say hello. Maybe they would let you in, show you around. If they would bring you even to their innermost sanctum, they would bring you closer in. It would be towards the Levite tribe, which was encircling the Mishkan, for they were tasked to be the ministers. And inside of that, if you'd be able to sneak this close up, you would find a chutzer, a courtyard, that would make up the outside part of the Mishkan, 100 by 50 cubit feet, so to speak, before getting inside even more, if you could, to the ante room inside in the Kaidash, fighting your way deeper into the heart of the sacred shed. You would get to the Kaidash HaKadashim, one of the innermost rooms, a place where the saintly and absolutely hallowed Aron HaKodesh would sit. And I want to discuss this our own Kodesh. This golden box. It's a multi-layered box. Gold wood gold. With a golden lid. A zer zahav saviv. A golden crown. It's got staves. Staves. To be able to carry it. Even though they weren't really used. Because while it was prohibited to remove these staves. Yet, the Gemara tells us that the Aron doesn't need to be carried. In fact, it carried those that were pretending to carry it, or tried to carry it. And above all this, the Aron Kodesh, the very center of the Aron Kodesh, the very top of it, perched on top of this Aron Kodesh, were the Kruvim, the cherubs, these angelic, baby-faced 
pure golden-hewn angels. Perhaps you can vision, envision the picture of them and the symbolism that comes forth from the depiction of what the Aron looked like is endless. We're told that the Aron was Eno Minhamida, for when you actually go through the calculation, it seems that there isn't any space for the Aron and its stalavas. So we're told by Chazal that the Aron didn't even take up any space. It was above space. And there is endless lessons for us to pick at and chew on for our own lives. Notwithstanding, the Ramban's teaching that the entire Mishkan was for the sake of the Aron, for the sake of the Torah. That's where the Kedusha, that's where the power source truly is. Now, we can try to think about why there aren't any wheels on this box. Maybe that would be a good way to transport the Aron. Try to figure out the symbolism there. Try to think about the gold, wood, gold, and all the lessons there. We can try to discuss what a crown means, why there is a crown of Torah, the depth of that, and the significance of never extracting the, our own staves. But this year, it was bothering me. Make two kruvim above it. Kruvim, an odd word, an odd thing. I know from the pictures that it's this baby-faced angelic kruv, cherub. But where does one know that? Well, from Rashi. Because we... And all the pictures take from a Rashi cites Kruvim from a Gemara Masechta Sukkah that Kruvim is demus parts of Tinaik Lahem that these Kruvim, these cherubs had the image of a young child. But where does the Gemara know that? In fact, can you think of any other spot that Kruvim would be mentioned? It may come across to your mind where Kruvim is used in bracious, right? At the very beginning of the story. And these cherubs take on a very different definition because we are told at the end of the tragic story when Adam and Chava were booted from Gan Eden that God fashioned two Kruvim. There were Kruvim standing outside of the Gan Eden with fiery swords, spinning them to keep anyone from entering. Kruvim were there and they were... To my knowledge, hardly beautiful, innocent-looking, sweet, pure, golden children. But here, on top, crowning, topping the Aron Kodesh, are Shnayim Kruvim Zahav Miksha Ta'osa Osam. Two Kruvim facing each other with their wings outstretched. I want to make it a solid question. Why the face of children? What's the significance of that? Let's make the face of Adam, Moshe. Let's put the face of an adult angel, Michael, Gavriel, Raphael, 
by a child's face. And for whatever one would answer to that, it isn't just any Tom, Dick, or Harry that gets to enter into the Kaidesh to see the Kruvim. So whoever would actually be there to learn a lesson from the image of the face of the Kruvim, it must be a message that is also uniquely tailor-made for that individual. So what is the lesson of the baby face? The Kruvim. The top of the Arnkaidesh. Baruch Hashem for the Balhaturim. At least the Kitzer Balhaturim. In many of the Chumashim, it's printed some of the main writings of the Balhaturim on the Parsha. Very unique commentary. And the Balhaturim, in one of his famous comments, right here, helps us out. He tells us the source or points to another using, using of the word Kruvim and what it means. Says the Balaturim, Shnayim Kruvim, there were these Kruvim. What does the word Kruvim mean? Keravya. It is ke like Ravya, like a child. The Aramaic word for child is Ravya. The Balaturim continues, Citing a Pasuk. Kinar Yisrael v'oyavo. For Israel is a nar. They are a youth. A youth. And I love them. This is a quote actually from the prophet Hosea. One of the great prophets in the time of the first Beis HaMikdash. A short sefer that is action-packed with some intense rebuke and some harsh lessons along with some nice lines and words of encouragement. Some love lines of the relationship between God and the Jewish people. And this Pasuk shows up in Hosea Perak Yod Aleph, Pasuk Aleph, Kinar Yisrael ve'ohavehu umitzrayim karasi levonoi. Levini. God is speaking that I fell in love with Israel when he was a child, and I've called him my son ever since Egypt. This is Kruvim. This is the Pasuk that the Balaturim points to. The youthfulness, the Nakuda, the point of love and the inner sanctum is shown by the face of a baby. And as soon as you hear this Pasuk in Oshea, if you have some connection to the Musser movement, it will tickle you in a funny way because it should sound familiar because it's a off-quoted Pasuk of the Musser movement and most notably by the great Rabbi Yisrael Salanter for he would preach this Pasuk and encourage man, woman, and child to live by this idea. That God loves us because of our youthfulness. We act in an almost intensely passionate, loving way, perhaps sometimes naive, all because we are consumed and obsessed and exuberant all about our Creator, about our unique connection to Hashem. It is our youth 
that God loves about us are nairus, the symbolism of the kruvim is that success in Yiddishkeit, devake us to our creator, to become a Talmud Chacham, to be at the very top of the Aron, is to have passion, to have youthfulness. Karavia, like a child. Kinar Yisrov Ohaveyu, for God loves us. That's what he points to, the prophet Hesheya says, when he points to why he fell in love with us. And youthful passion is what? will make our relationship stick and be so strong. This is the first lesson of this week's weekly Parsha podcast. And it's one that I was so happy to come across because I was yelling at somebody excitedly, impassioned, enraged even, about trying to smooth out the different paths that have sprung that have become mainstream to get to Hashem. There's the Musar path, there's the Yeshiva movement path, the Hasidic Hasidim path, Nevardic path, you can take a Rab Nachman Breslov path, the Kabbalah path. So many different movements. And I was trying to figure out, are they different? Does God like one of them more than the other? But truthfully, I believe it to be true, is that the goal is to get to Yira Shemayim, to get to following Chazal and the Torah, for God speaks to us and told us how he wants to be served, and it's our job to follow that. But Judaism and connecting to God, the Ahavta and loving God that every single Jew needs, is built on passionate service in that the actions aren't just dry fulfillment of halachos, but they are married to a soul, done with excitement, fresh-faced, invigorated, with a juvenile spry. And each one of these movements I was proposing was just set up by a great leader because he realized that Without passion, without excitement, we're dead and we're finished. And even if we keep halacha, it's only a matter of time before it all crumbles. So learn Musr because don't you understand who you are, who your creator is, and the loving relationship here? Oh, so don't you understand that if you're Hasidic, that you can elevate and uplift you're davening, you're learning and doing mitzvah besimcha, that there isn't a part of your life that isn't kol kule kadosh. Don't you understand that when you enter into yeshiva, you have been a part of now something that is set up as an elitist system for you to become a master of the Talmud and one of the leaders of the generation because you are now one of the foremost authorities because of your knowledge of Hashem's Torah? The underpinning, the Central theme, the Briachatich, and if you will, that center pole of the Mishkan of all of these is passion and excitement. Kinar Yisrael, the for God fell in love with Israel when he was a child. That's what being a Chassid is, being a Musarite is, being a devoted Talmud Chacham, a member of the Yeshiva movement. It's all just a try. 
thousands of years into Gaulus to inspire and to create Nairus, his Iris, in the Jewish people. This is what I was preaching to this member. And I came across this in Rabbi Stroll, how he would constantly preach Nairus. That's where it all lives. And I immediately wanted to connect the two, prove myself right, hopefully. But either way, we aren't wrong that Nairus, non-complacency, lively, bouncy, bubbly, spirited, seltzer-like enthusiasm of Hashem's holy law is definitely going to lead to continuity and better service of the boss. So that's the Kruvim, Karavia. That's the reminder, like a child. And we spoke. And who is even going to see the Karuvim? It isn't going to be any Moshe, Yankee, or it could be Moshe, but it wouldn't be any Tom, Dick, or Harry. It's only going to be the highest and the holiest members of Klal Yisrael. And Yerb Yisrael said, the Sefer Chachma Musser, quoted, said by the altar of Kelm, as heard by Rabbi Yisrael Salanter, that that's exactly it, that even in one's old age, even when they are a Moshe Rabbeinu, even when they are one of the Kohanim, even when they are the top of the top, but never settle for complacency, never settle for I've done enough, never settle for I've been successful, never settle for that non-Jewish idea and that trafe word that they call retirement. The withdrawing of yourself from your position, from your spot at work, your occupation, your active life. We don't believe in cooling off and slowing down. We believe that if we're doing something, it's because there's a point to it, for God commands it. And if I'm making money, which means that I get to go and buy myself a beautiful esrig or donate to the synagogue, get myself a new beautiful set of base Yosef, well, then why would you retire? Unless you wanted to be more spirited about a different part of your Torah or Midos efforts. Maybe that would be a reason. But to ever call it quits... To quit the dream, withdraw from your active working life. Even when you've reached heights like Moshe Rabbeinu or a Kohen Gadol on Yom Kippur, you stare into the face of these Kruvim and you see the youthfulness. You see the Nairus. Kinar Yisrael v'o'aveyu. And that inspires you to bring back your spry, fresh-faced attitude of passionate devotion to Hashem. And this is how one will succeed in crushing his competition. Whether his competition be someone else, which is frankly not true for you aren't in competition with anybody else. Your parnasa is between you and God and no one else can hurt you unless God says so. So competition like swimming between you and yourself, whether or not you'll be able to beat your record time and dig deep and find energy to swim even faster and go even further, that type of competition. It would seem like this is a great perspective to have for better results. Because Nairus, when we were a kid, 
to act like a kiravya, kruvim, it meant dreaming big. It meant wanting to land on the moon. It meant wanting to make a million dollars. It meant greatness. But then complacency, adulthood, maturity, retirement, it all sets in. Status quo and average-like results becomes okay. But youthfulness has removed the limitations. Dream big again. Remove the self-imposed limitations. Forget what anyone else says and go big or go home. So that's what we do. We say that I don't have enough time. I can't take on more. I cannot go faster. I cannot swim any quicker. But you have to go back in time and remember how it was when you were a child. When in your own mind you were able to envision the whole world there for the taking. That's what it means to be Kiravya, like a Kruv. In Judaism, even someone who's made it, they've become a Talmud Chacham. We don't call them just a Chacham, we call them a Talmud, a student who's a Chacham. Because being a thirsty scholar, being youthful about your amassing of knowledge is the only way to go. It's the lesson that Moshe sees in the Kruvim, and it's what we have to try as best as possible to internalize today. To be hungry for success. And Nebuch, you see the opposite. You see those who have become complacent, those who have reached the top of the mountain or the top of the mountain, so to speak, that they may think is the top, whether it be in Torah, their professional life, athletes. But as soon as they lose that youthful passion, that joy, that exuberance in it, it all withers away. It is the passion that keeps us together. It is the passion. It is the nar hayisi that makes our Judaism so beloved in the eyes of Hashem. And that stands at the very center of it all. And this elegant edifice, and this beautifully decorated domicile, this holy mishkan, go into the very center of it and stare into the very eyes and face of what is the kruvim, the heart of everything, the point of it all, and you get kruvim, you get childlike reminders to serve Hashem with passion, to serve Hashem hungry for more, to serve Hashem of, I want to be closer to you. I want to throw off the limitation. I want to throw off the self-imposed restrictions. I want to go back to dreaming big and dreaming and accomplishing great things, like landing on the moon. That's this week's Parsha podcast. That ends with a reminder to be young, to be bouncy, to be passionate about your Yiddishkeit, to be passionate about anything that you want to be successful in, to be youthful about it. Because God fell in love with Israel when he was a child.
Can't the 